After more than a year of online learning, Columbia Public Schools students are back in the classroom. The start of a new school year typically means new teachers, new books, and maybe even new friends. But this year, another new face, Dr. Brian Yearwood, welcomed back students, or as he calls them, scholars. Yearwood serves as the new superintendent of Columbia Public Schools, a role he stepped into on July 1st. He joins Columbia Public Schools after the retirement of Peter Stiepelman, who served in the role for seven years. Now Yearwood is eager to take the reins of the educational horse wagon. I'm your host, Grace Cooper. Here, Vox Voices' Caitlin McElwain speaks with Mr. Yearwood about his educational journey and priorities ahead, as well as his love of sports, automobiles, and family time. Welcome to Vox Voice. Hello, everyone. I'm Caitlin McElwain, and I'm joined by Dr. Brian Yearwood, the new superintendent of Columbia Public Schools. Dr. Yearwood, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. Let's get right into it. So you've been in Columbia for a few months. How's it been? It's been fantastic. Um, I've had an opportunity to interact with uh, different community members, parents, uh, or scholars, or teachers, and it's been just a wonderful experience. Um, it has surpassed even my my expectations of the 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 kindness and the, and the, and there's the great people, the great individuals that live in in this community, and of course, our phenomenal staff. I have to always mention that. And is there anything you love about the city in particular? Yes, um, I, I love the openness in terms of everyone being so much appreciative of the environment. Um, I in, enjoy just the, the trees, the, the hills, the foliage, um, just the great outdoors. I think it, it promotes a, a greater sense of just um, well-being because we're able to, to walk outside and breathe in some good fresh air and, and just, you know, see the wind blowing and, and see the birds and just the different uh, animals around. I mean, it's, it's just been surreal for me. Any parks in particular that you like to visit? Um, I, I quite I haven't found a park yet to visit, but I know when my grandchildren come, we will definitely be exploring. So I'm, I'm sort of reserving that for for that visit. And how different is Columbia from where you came from? Yes, um, in, in, I came from the Austin area, Maine in particular. It's very flat. Um, the greenery is not as many trees as one would say. Um, and of course, lots of, of development happening in that area. And in Colombia, you know, it's it's all natural. There's a lot of natural, um, you know, foliage and and just the the environment. Everyone is so particular about maintaining just a a, a nice, clean environment. And and I mean, it's it's great. And and I have to say again, the people in Colombia are the friendliest I've I've ever seen. I've ever interacted with. Before coming to Columbia, you were the chief operations officer in Texas's Maynard Independent School District. So what spurred you to take the next step and move to Missouri? So um, a couple of things. Um, One, you know, I wanted to become, I decided that it's time to be a superintendent. I'd spent approximately eight years as an assistant superintendent. So I started looking at different areas and looking at opportunities. And when I came across Columbia, um, the area was very much like the areas I, I lived in. In Lubbock, Texas, we had Texas Tech University, a college town. In Maynard, although it's a little, it's probably ten minutes away from University of Texas, it still had the, you know, the trappings of a, a college environment. 
And so coming to Colombia for me was was just a natural fit. And, and, you know, also looking at the innovations that existed within the school district, because that's what I love, is being able to challenge scholars in ways they have not been challenged before and provide unique opportunities so they all can, you know, grow and, and, and uh, be able to be all that they can be. And, and those are, are, are high priorities for me. And, and for me, personally, scholars as number one, it's very evident that that was very evident coming into Colombia that our scholars are number one. And so you were born in Trinidad and Tobago. Can you tell us about your upbringing and how that led to you arriving in the U.S.? Yes. Um, I, I would say there's some things that, you know, uh, I, I can't explain, but I know that it started with being on the tennis court. My dad played tennis. He was a school teacher. Mom was a school teacher. And older brother and I started playing. And we loved the sport, started playing every day. And, and we had a visitor, a vacationer that came down from Indianapolis, uh, Barbara Wynn, and he, uh, came in to visit. And she asked to speak with my dad. And, of course, I thought, you know, we were in, we were in trouble. We had done something wrong. <laughs> and when she spoke with my dad, the next thing I know, at age 12, I was on a plane by myself flying into Indianapolis. And from there... Um, we represented their tennis club and flew around the country, um, Michigan, Ohio, um, oh my gosh, New York, just all over. And we were having great success with, with tennis and racking up you know, victories and so on. So that started us every summer. We would fly into Indianapolis, and my brother and I, and we would represent the club. And um, we made a lot of friends in that way. Um, as a matter of fact, um, I went to New Mexico Military Institute, a junior college, and the reason that I started there was um, John um, and I played together in Michigan, and we played doubles together, and he was going there, and he called me up and said, hey, coach is looking for another great player. Would you join us from the Caribbean? And I said, absolutely, because, you know, I, John and I were great friends, and that started my career in college here in the United States, in Roswell, New Mexico. Now, I was not searching for aliens. I was just looking to play tennis and get a college education and, you know, just uh, enjoy life as a, as a young man. Are there any role models and exceptional leaders in your life that you look up to? Um, I, I had a slew of them, but um, I would say um, one that has recently came in, come into my life was my past superintendent, Dr. Andrew Spencer. He's um, currently the superintendent in Maynard ISD and um, he, he, he took scholars to, to another level and, and looking at how he did it and learning from him over the past, you know, uh, two years that he, I was with him, um, it, it, it put a whole, it, it affirmed, first of all, it, what I believed in, but I also saw that ways that you can actually foster that level of development for a scholar. So absolutely um, learned, learned a lot, and, and, and we still stay in, in very close contact and certainly enjoy that, but a great admiration for Dr. Spencer. That's great. Mm -hmm. And so you've been an educator now for more than 30 years. Yes. What led you to pursuing education as a career path? Yes, I, I have to go back a bit. My, um, I started off in geology. Um, I was a good friends of a gentleman by the name of Dr. Keith Rowley. He was head of National Coring and Mining Division in Trinidad and Tobago. He's now the prime minister. Um, and he had his doctorate in, uh, I believe it was geophysics. And he, um, as we were, my last day on the island, we were talking and he says, go study geology and come home. I said, that sounds great because I was, had some interest in rocks. But 
coming into Texas Tech, um, after I left New Mexico, I went to Texas Tech on tennis scholarship, started studying geology, and through an interaction I had with a special needs scholars in a volunteer camp, I had a change of heart, and my interaction with one special needs scholar in particular changed my whole trajectory in my education, and I quickly knew in my heart that's what I wanted to become was a teacher and never looked back. I did um, achieve the geology degree, got my teaching certificate, and started teaching, and I had the best time. I think I enjoyed uh, my science classrooms more than my scholars did, but what I saw, what was very revealing is that um, all scholars have genius within, and as an educator, it's up to us to, to pull that genius out, to, to see that genius grow, and that's why I, I refer to my students as scholars because there's untapped potential on in every single scholar there is. We have to just pull that out of them. Yeah, I even like the way that you say scholar. I'm not sure that I used to many people in education referring to students as scholars. Mm-hmm. Um, what what drives you even to use that word? Yes, because of the potential that I see. And I, I look at students not just as a sit and get, not just to receive information, but to interact with that information. But where the, that information, that learning goes, it's all up to the individual student. And, and so many times what for me was important was to get our, our students to understand that they can take that learning to the next level. And so I call, I say scholars, I call each one scholars because we don't know where that learning is going to take place. I mean, we, we have, even currently here at um, in Columbia, we have graduates of Hickman that have gone on and done magnificent things and have come up with great things. You know, we look at the Walmart chain, we look at, you know, um, was it um, Carfax and so on that had some origins here. Um, and, and that's what I, I see. I see untapped potential. Um, another, um, something else that also changed my uh, perspective, I would receive um, scholars that were perhaps had a little trouble in other classes and they'd come into my classroom and the first thing they understood is we respect that, uh, you know, I expected them to respect me as a teacher. I also gave them their respect and I also encouraged them to explore and to learn in different ways and to be able to demonstrate their learning through different um, um, medium. And and all of a sudden, uh, what I've noticed happening there is also the, the scholars that perhaps were struggling soared. And and so that, uh, my mind was, was, was made up even then. Um, another important part of my educational pathway is when I became a principal, I took over an elementary school called Owls Elementary School. Um, Owls was a school with over 90%, um, was it was 90% poverty. And what was happening there was that um, scholars were not performing academically. I was there for 13 years, seven of which we became a recognized campus in the state of Texas. Um, The remaining five, we were an exemplary campus, meaning that we were at the top. And the reason for that is just getting to scholars to believe in themselves and to see that they're number one. And once they believe that once they embrace that, we saw it academically to being a top school, not only in our district, but also in the state. 
So it's this idea of believing in the potential and allowing that potential to guide the students forward. Yes, absolutely. You have to truly believe it and, and expect it. You can't just say it, but you have to live it. You have to let the scholars know this is what I truly believe in you and you, you don't accept anything less. So I know that in addition to potential and fostering this idea of scholars, scholarship, um, another part, important part of your leadership style is collaboration. Um, would you like to talk to us a little bit more about that? Yes. I always believe in that two can accomplish twice as much as one. And by saying that, when we collaborate, we are able to have that interchange of ideas um, and result in a net gain. So um, in education, what I encourage, where it started from is having our scholars collaborate on interdisciplinary units, units that crossed over from um, one, uh, from English to math, science, social studies, and so on. There was a mix um, that started happening. And, and watching scholars collaborate on how to problem solve um, led, led to growth. I remember our first um, unit that we did as a teacher bringing the principal to tears because she did not expect our scholars to uh, to come up with projects and to come up with such problem-solving abilities um, that they demonstrated, and it just blew her away. Um, and, and leading forward to me being a leader, um, although I'm a leader, it's important that I collaborate. I collaborate and I listen to when I work with others. Um, as a principal, it, it, the teachers, the teachers were the ones that were driving the, the, uh, the, the train, I call it. I just held on. And, and they knew that, and they were able to take risk, and they were able to explore and become innovative, and I encouraged them. Um, playing it now as a superintendent, it's key that I collaborate with our community, our parents, listening to our, our scholars, listening to our leaders, listening to, um, we, I have a great cabinet, listening to our staff members, um, because they may have a perspective that may be different to something that I'm thinking about, but guess what? Their perspective may work, maybe even better than what I'm, I'm doing, and I recognize that. And so I truly believe in the spirit of collaboration. Um, I think that's the beauty of our world, is if we can talk to each other and learn from each other, we could be even further along in our development, and I encourage our, our scholars to do that so they can um, make the world a better place, not only for themselves, but also for, for us um, as we move forward. So what traits in a person do you think exemplify leadership when you think of a leader? The, the word that comes to mind is, first of all, servant, serving, um, putting others first, um, being able to recognize strengths and weaknesses and, and um, foster strengths and be able to help uh, to circumvent or help to be able to grow someone from, from areas of weakness. Um, throughout my entire career, I've been considered what is called a turnaround uh, educator. That means being able to take a classroom, a school, a district, and being able to foster growth. And a part of that is because of being a servant leader and, and listening to others and just um, letting others understand that, yes, I may, be, I may have a title that allows me to be in a certain supervisory capacity, but when it comes to the table, when it comes to having discussions and collaboration, I'm here to listen and I'm here to, to 
foster great ideas that uh, would come from others and, and just serving. So when it comes to leadership, you see service, you see collaboration, you see tapping into untapped potential within the scholars that you work with. Are there any challenges that you've had to overcome as you take this approach to education? Yes. Well, you know, there's some that may not actually may not have experienced it. I don't, I don't, I think they truly, everyone believes in it, but there's some that may not have experienced it. And so, um, you know, just getting all to believe um, that we, we, we truly have scholars before us, I think that, you know, presents certain challenges in it. But I must say that um, here in Colombia, I really don't see that as being a problem because we have such a phenomenal staff. Um, I have visited every school here in the district and every classroom I've walked into everywhere. I've seen this hardworking, dedicated staff members that are, are just bringing about the best in our scholars. I see scholars smiling. I see our scholars, you know, interacting. Um, I, I, one place that I went to that just warmed my heart was our pre-K program. I went to the building to just see what was going on and they were all, you know, just so happy and although they were wearing their mask and so on, not a problem. They were just some of the happiest scholars that I've seen interacting with each other and, you know, interacting with the teacher and it was just, you know, just phenomenal. So again, um, not really challenges, but just being able to just tweak, a, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of things to, to ensure that our scholars continue to thrive and grow and they are growing here in Colombia. Mm. And so in general, I know that there is, it's kind of a tense moment right now within education in a lot of public school systems. Um, there's just a lot of um, concern, I think, among people about what's being taught. And I wanted to know, you know, what, what do you think are, are some of the problems that all public school systems are facing right now that you want to address? Sure. Well, you know, people want answers. And um, so people or you know, a community or someone may be asking more questions than, than before. And, you know, with social media, you know, definitely being a, a, a major tool, there, there's a lot of discussion going on and a lot of, um, you know, questions coming out. Um, what I see happening is, is the ability to communicate and to communicate in a in, in a truthful manner and and being transparent. So as we look at, you know, what's going on, I think that there, there seems to be open, honest communication and the, with the understanding that we're not perfect. You know, um, I've yet to see what is called a perfect school system. But, a, you know, in Colombia, it's a school, we have a school system that's willing to grow and to listen and to get better and stronger. I think that that in and of itself allows us to um, deal with, you know, the pressures that may, that are mounting. And, and I think other school districts are dealing with that too. You know, the, the, the definite, uh, um, not questioning, I would say, of our, um, by our community members. Um, I think that in and of itself has presented some unique um, challenges to some, but I go back to let's communicate. And then above all, Let's keep our scholars as our number one priority. Let, let's keep talking about what is best for our scholars. Uh, 
how what does reading look like? What do, how are they doing in math and science, social studies, in the fine arts, which are also very important in the career technical education world? How how is that um, evolving? I think you know we've gotten a bit away from from those intense discussions, but for me in Colombia, it, it as long as as a superintendent, as long as we are putting as a school district our scholars first, then I think we'll be fine. And I know we're doing that every day. Hmm. So we'd like to take some time to learn more about what you do in your personal time when you're not uh, working with the scholars in Columbia Public Schools. So you were a tennis champion when you lived in Trinidad and Tobago. What got you into the sport? Um, just the love of the sport itself. My brother and I, my dad played some tennis, and my brother and I just started playing because we'd follow him to the courts, and we just started playing, and we loved it. So we played every day. Um, and then um, from that, we entered tournaments, and, and we started winning. And, of course, with the victory, you know, it, it became even more exciting. So we, we just played every single day and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. As a matter of fact, my brother... Um, still plays more than me. He's actually a tennis coach. He graduated from Miami of Ohio. Um, it is, uh, I believe, a degree in chemistry, but he still coaches as, as um, he's from Trinidad, Tobago. He's housed there, and I think today he's in uh, North Carolina. At uh, They invited him up to do some, some uh, coaching camps for some of the junior players. So that was in our life. And for me, um, although I don't get to play as much, occasionally I do um, play tennis and my intention uh, going forward is to learn about pickleball. I understand that that's very big here, and I, there's a young man, he's an assistant principal at one of the schools that says when the weather gets better, we will be out playing pickleball, and I look forward to that. Um, other hobbies, you know, it, it's just um, being able to go out and just enjoy the, the, the atmosphere, being able to eat and, and just sit and enjoy what's what's all around us in Colombia. I think that's as, as the environment is just conducive to relaxation and, you know, it, it's a great environment for us. So I know that some other interests that you have are cars and planes. Um, you've also expressed an interest in flying planes, working yeah. on cars. When did that start? What yes. do you think sparked your interest? Well, um, several years ago, I was helping um, a, a friend of mine. He had some car trouble and you know, he just asked if I would help him, and I, I did. I didn't know a whole lot about cars, but going through the process, I started enjoying fixing things and seeing things get better and, 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 and working better. And so um, after I finished with that, I started working on my own projects, and I started, you know, I'd buy a car that perhaps people would ask for it to be taken off the road and turn it into a gem. Um, my, my last one was a, a Corvette that I... Um, brought and restored and um, I would get lots of compliments on it, especially when I had it, you know, out on the road and things like that. So it was just, uh, you know, something to take me away and to allow me to, you know, just enjoy another aspect of life. So, um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's one that I, I thoroughly enjoy. Um, uh, not as much time to do it now that I'm a superintendent, but definitely one that I'm sure I'll be getting back to one day. And, and you mentioned flying. Yes, I was working on my pilot's license. Um, my, my plan was to fly home to Trinidad and Tobago. Um, I don't think I will do that, even if I have my license. Too, too complication, too many complicated crosswinds and so on. But I was working on my, my um, pilot's license. And 
it's it, it basically started as a challenge. I, I, we started an aviation program at my school where I was a principal. I wanted our scholars to be exposed to another um, level of innovation. And so the teacher that I asked, um, a part of it was he had to go out and get his pilot's license. So um, in a staff meeting, he said, well, I'm going to start this program. And he talked about it and he said he's going to work on his pilot's license and he's going to fly. And then he challenged me. He says, since I'm going to do this, I'm challenging Dr. Yeo to also get his pilot's license and not want to turn away from a challenge. I started flying. I never looked back. I thoroughly loved it. <laughs> it's not like the pursuit of scholarship now, taking it up into the sky. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And on our scholars, we would get them to go flying. We'd have, of course, professional pilots and so on with their parents' permission. And they would get to go up in um, single-engine planes and fly around the area in, in Lubbock, Texas. And, and it, it, it just you know opened up their, their eyes because many had never been in a plane before. So um, it was just uh, another... Another way of bringing learning and innovation, as they talked about, you know, physics, the laws of physics and flying and so on. So uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed seeing that happen. Mm. So we've mostly talked about your work and your hobbies, mm. but how do you like to spend time with your family? Um, for us, it's it's movie night. Um, you know, uh, my, my wife, she's an RN here in, in, in Columbia and, uh, again, thoroughly enjoying that. And so we just like to just enjoy a, a good movie, you know, um, and not horror, obviously. I, 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 we don't do horror. That's awesome. <laughs> but no horror movies for no, you. No, no horror movies. No, I, um, I just, um, you know, I, I, I like to see pleasantries. <laughs> <laughs> totally understandable. I'm also not a fan of the scary movies. I get nightmares. I can't do it. Um, well, one of my last questions here that I want to ask, what are you looking forward to most as you continue working at Columbia Public Schools? Yes. Um, I, I look forward to raising the bar, the academic bar for all scholars. Um, I look forward to further interactions with our community, with our parents, our staff, teachers, um, because so far it's been very, very positive. And I, I look forward to listening and, and really hearing what's going on out there and how can we get better and stronger, but continuing to make our scholars our number one priority and, and raising the bar for all scholars, that is what that, that, that is huge for me. And, and I would always say if I can leave a legacy um, that says, well, he was a superintendent that truly inspired scholars and, and was able to lift the educational bar here, I, I, I would be very satisfied with that. Awesome. Sure. Anything I missed that you'd like to add? Um, no, no, not at this time. I, I, I'm, I'm just, um, you know, loving being in Colombia and look forward to many years here and, and even retiring here in Colombia. That's good to hear. All right, Dr. Brian Yearwood, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Well, class is dismissed. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're yearning to earn some extra credit, be sure to check out the rest of our Vox Voice episodes for more content straight from the Voices of Columbia. 